our country has really been led to believe and to strive for what we call the American dream. And the American dream is kind of defined in the Declaration of Independence that says it's all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And let's just be honest, that has become our personal pursuit, the pursuit of happiness. And then happiness is then redefined in what we feel is our liberties. And many people will say they're not really religious, but the truth be told, we're all religious in some way or the other because what we believe becomes our religion. And I can't just be honest with you for a moment. I think in many ways this pursuit has become our personal religion. It's become our religion to seek after what makes me happy. And we think happiness is what will satisfy our soul. But in all reality, happiness just kind of comes and goes. If that's really our pursuit to be happy, it just comes and goes. Because what makes me happy today, it may not be tomorrow. You know, I think the biggest question that we kind of need to answer today is the ultimate goal of life really about making ourselves happy? Is that really why I exist? Is that really why you exist, just to make yourself happy? Because the reality is this, I may be happy today because everything went exactly the way that I wanted it to, but I could be really unhappy tomorrow because it didn't quite go the way I hoped it to. Happiness just kind of flows and goes with the circumstances of our day-to-day life. It never truly sustains. And if we're only living our life in the pursuit of what makes us happy, and then that pursuit we kind of transform into what is our personal liberties, and we live by that belief, then we run into problems. We run into walls because over and over again, we have learned that the pursuit of happiness, it never ends. It never stops You've never fully obtained it. You never fully grasp it. Why? Because happiness is always changing. It's always changing. Probably because we don't really find the happiness within. And maybe, just maybe, our pursuit is not for happiness. What if the world has really just led us down a path of confusion and disruptions when in reality, my pursuit is not about what makes me happy. My pursuit should be something that's more sustainable and biblically speaking, that is joy. See, joy and happiness are completely different. Happiness is based upon my circumstances. Joy is about something that sta- sustains beyond the circumstances of my own life. You know, joy, maybe you've heard this acronym before, but really to find true joy is this. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. But see, in reality, when we make the pursuit of our own happiness our goal, we flip it around. And we say, well, it's all about um, making me happy. It's about myself first. And then when I have time, then it's others. And then if Jesus can fit in there in some way or the other, I'll fit him in. And by so doing, we make, we flip upside down what God's creative purpose was for our life, and we're never satisfied. Why? Because we've been made to believe that the pursuit of happiness is our goal, when in reality, there's something bigger, there's something more important, because happiness is not joy. Joy is something about beyond who I am. You see, the, pro- the problem is this, because life has become all about the pursuit of ourself, 
the pursuit of what makes me happy, if that's become our pursuit, our belief system, our personal religion, if you will, you know what's transpired us into being? It's, it's created us to be. And, and before I say it, I have to be honest with you, I'm talking to myself. I'm looking in the mirror right now and I'm speaking to Bill. But I fear because we've made our focus the pursuit of happiness, we've become a pretty entitled generation. We've become a very entitled generation because it's all about me. You know what entitled the heart, the heartbeat of being entitled is all about? Pride. We've talked about this several times already. Pride is the root of all evil. The root of all of our sin struggles goes back to pride. Entitlement is all about pride. And it causes us to miss out on so much when pride consumes us and we live life that is so self-absorbed, so self-focused, so self-entitled that we think we are privileged to certain things, that we deserve certain things, a.k.a. our liberties, then we lose sight on the heart of God and what he desires for us and we become a pretty prideful people. Pretty entitled. Because entitlement basically is the belief that we deserve certain privileges or rights or special treatment. And when you go through all that, I believe deep down in all of our hearts, we desire to make a difference. We desire to be difference makers in this world. But here's the war within our souls. Here's the battle within that. We want to be difference makers, yet we've been led down a path that becomes so self-focused. We become entitled. And can I be real with you? The sense of entitlement is a hindrance to becoming a difference maker. The more we become self-absorbed, and self-focused, the less our ability is to truly be a difference maker in the world. See, Jesus said, as my followers, as my disciples, you are my salt and light in this world. You are the difference makers this world needs. But see, the devil does not want us to be the difference makers. So his path and his traps are to focus us on ourselves to become more self-absorbed, to become more self-focused, and the tendencies to convince ourselves that happiness is found in our own self-worth, our own net worth. You know, it's all about what I want, what I feel I deserve, what I can get in my own life. And our heart focus becomes more about what we want, and this affects everything around us. Everything. People say, Bill, you know, what I do doesn't really affect other people. Yes, it does. Everything you do affects those around you. It does. The Bible speaks to that, and it's shown throughout our interactions with other people. Did you know that entitlement and self-absorbed and self-focused is not something just new in our time? It's not something that just happened in our generation. Entitlement and self-focused, prideful mentality has been the heartbeat and struggle of mankind from the beginning of, of time, from creation. In fact, even within the 12 disciples, there is a struggle of entitlement. There's a struggle of self-focus. Yeah, even those 12 guys who were closest to Jesus struggled with this as well. In fact, we see this struggle play out in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. We see these two brothers, James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee. 
and they were starting to feel a little bit full of themselves. Like, hey, dude, Jesus, we're kind of better than the other disciples. I mean, I mean, the other 10 guys, they're pretty cool. But I mean, look at us. And then look what happens in Mark 10, verses 35 through 37. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, that's Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Woo. I don't know if I have enough guts to go to the Son of God and say, I want you to do whatever I ask you to do. But you know, in a lot of ways we do. We do. I mean, think about your prayer life. Think about how you act when you come to church. I mean, a lot of ways we bring that attitude. God, I want you to do for me whatever I ask. It's all about what you're doing for me. It's all about the entitlement of what I feel I deserve. And it's really wrecked our relationship with God in some ways. And then Jesus responds, what do you want me to do, he asked. And then they replied, James and John, let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left in your glory. See what they're saying? They're saying, listen, Jesus, we believe we're better than every other disciple you have. The other 10, we're better. I mean, just think about it. Think of where we've come from. Think of who we are. And, and so since we're better, how about you just kind of highlight our greatness when we get to heaven? You know, you can sit on your throne and then one of us on your right and one of us on your left. Pretty stinking entitled, don't you think? And I look at my journey and I see a lot of times in my heart when I've acted that same way. I may not have been those exact words, hey, let me have a seat at your right or left Jesus in heaven. But there's a lot of ways that I've approached God with that same selfish focus. Jesus, you exist to give me what I want. You, the church exists to give me what I want. And that's a struggle. When, we become, when pride enters in, when we become so self-focused and entitlement creeps into our heart, it destroys us. And here's the problems with entitlement. What entitlement does, if it consumes you and controls you, then it begins to erode everything around you. It erodes your relationships. It destroys your relationships. First, your relationship with God, and then your relationship with others. And you're thinking, Bill, how will it affect my, hurt my relationship with other people? Why? Because the more self-focused we become and act with those around us, the more we just push them away. The more we isolate ourselves around us. Because our relationships aren't there to serve us. We're there to serve relationships. And any healthy relationship in your life, whether it's married or friendship or whatever it may be, you want the most out of that relationship. You exist within that relationship to serve them. And then they exist to serve you. It goes back and forth. But when you interact within your relationships, it's all about what they're doing for me. Those relationships will crumble and fall. Happens all the time. 
And then beyond that, as those relationships begin to erode with our relationship with God and our relationships with others, because we become so self-absorbed, we become so entitled within our own heart, then we begin to lose out on the blessings that God wants to provide for us. And then the bigger kicker is this, deep down within your own heart and your desire to make a difference in this world, you lose the opportunity to make a difference. Why? Because you're more focused on yourself than you are about being a difference maker in other people's life. And you miss out on so much that God wants to do. You see, my friends, to become a difference maker is vital to have a, the heart of a servant. If you want to become a difference maker, you must have the heart of a servant. It all starts there. It all leads out of that heartbeat. Jesus came into this world. Why? To serve us. To sacrifice for us. And then he turns around and says, okay, just the way I lived... I'm asking you to imitate that same lifestyle of serving others. That's my heartbeat. And when you follow that path, Jesus first, others second, then yourself last, when you have that heart of a servant, there you find joy that supersedes any ability to have happiness. Because my joy is not sustained based upon what happens to me tomorrow, whether things go my way or not my way. My joy is stained, sustained. Why? Because the God I serve, what he's done for my life, and how he moves through my life when I serve others. James and John, the disciples, they struggled with that. And I think we all struggle with that at times. Struggle with what's in it for me. What can I get out of this? And then check out what happened right after they made that big request, that self-focused request to Jesus. Beginning in verse 41. When the ten, the other disciples, heard about this, they became indignant and with James and John. You see that the relationship began to erode. It affected that relationship. And then Jesus called them all together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you catch that? You want to find greatness? It's found in the heart of a servant. The more you try to find greatness by focusing on yourself, the more you find brokenness. Because James and John were focused on the pursuit of themselves rather than the heart of God. They saw the conflict. They saw the division within their relationships and the erosion that happens with that self-focus. And they were on the verge of missing out on significance. Because significance is found when we live beyond ourself for something greater. That's the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant is to put what I feel may be best for me aside for what's best for somebody else. That's the heart of a servant. That's what God has called us to do. You know, it's like when I go to a restaurant, the heart of a servant is not there to... to how they, can they serve me better? I'm there to serve them. I mean, just think about that for a moment. 
We live in a society where we've become so self-absorbed. Everywhere we go, it's all about that person's there to serve me. We go to the restaurant, and we have the waiters or waitresses that exist to serve me. I go to a sporting event or the movie theaters, and those workers exist to serve me. I go to school, and the teachers are there to serve me. And wherever we go, we walk into that environment with the expectation that those people are there to serve me, and it's just diluted our heart from the reality of the heart of God. And so I'm challenging you to think about this. I had to work through this in my journey, this self-focused mentality, that even though those waiters and waitresses are bringing me my meal, what if I had the mindset, what if you had the mindset that they're not there to serve you, but in that environment, I'm there for the purpose in some way to serve them. That when I go to a sporting event or the movie theater or wherever it may be, that those people, those workers, aren't there to serve me. I'm there to serve them in some way. What if we just changed our heart focus that way? Just think of the difference you can make in people's life. But when we walk around and we just walk around with, they're there to serve me, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to better serve me? We miss out on the heartbeat of God and we become more and more entitled. You see, the heart of a servant realizes that our role is a manager, not the owner. That's the heartbeat of a servant. You see, the pursuit of happiness, the, the, the self-focused entitled heartbeat is to convince ourselves that we are the owners. That everything I have is because of me. Everything I have is because of what I've done, that I deserve it. But the heartbeat of a slave is to realize there's nothing I have, resources, relationship, or my time that has not been provided to me by the God, the creator of everything that is. And so if I change my mindset to that focus, it changes how I view everything and how I use everything in my life. Because of this focus, we become so privileged in our thinking that we deserve certain things in our life. And it causes how we treat other people. When I was a teenager, I remember when me and my friends and were, were leaving the swimming pool. And we went to Burger King to get some food. And their parents were driving at the time. And it's at the back in the day when you would stuff like 20 people into a car. And it was like legal. And so we pulled up. We went through the driving drive through at Burger King. And we got everything in the my friend's mom pulled to the parking spot just to make sure that our order was right. And then she found out that there were a couple sandwiches missing. And she became furious that they actually missed a couple sandwiches. And she opened up the door angrily. And I remember her kids yelled out, Mom, go get them, Mom. And she slammed the door. And she went into Burger King to tell them what she thought. You know, I think about that. How many times have I done that? I've become so entitled and privileged in my thinking that because they messed up a small order that I had the right to walk in there and tear them apart. What's, what has become of us? That we treat people in such a way that that we have this high expectation that they exist to serve me, and if they don't serve me in exactly the way that I want them to serve me, then that my attitude comes out. But what if we changed our heart focus a little bit, and every person that we walk towards, that we encounter, 
whether they're behind a cash register or they're serving us at a restaurant or wherever it may be, that we change our focus. That person does not exist to serve me. I am in this moment to serve them. Just think of the lives you would change. You have the opportunity to be a difference maker. And here's the kicker. Because we tend to become so self-absorbed and so privileged in our thinking, and we're in this pursuit of our own personal happiness, and like I said, that pursuit never really ends because what makes me happy today does not make me happy tomorrow because it's just not good enough anymore. Even in the pursuit of what we obtain and our stuff, you know, back in the day in the 80s when Super Nintendo came out, I thought this is the most amazing thing ever. This is going to be the best video game I've ever had in my life uh, console. And then Sega came out. And then PlayStation came out. And now these things have like 100 buttons on controllers. Why? Because we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. We always want the next greatest thing. That's the pursuit of happiness. And because we're constantly in this pursuit of happiness, not just with stuff, but within our own heart, and because we begin to realize deep down, we may not express it or talk about it, but deep down we just find that pursuit endless and we're never fully satisfied, then we become a generation of people that then begin to try to invent other ways to make ourselves happy. Because if this doesn't satisfy me anymore, this doesn't make me happy anymore, what other ways can I invent or come up with to make me happy? And it just never ends. And we find ourselves in this endless pursuit of not being happy. And then before we know it, because we have consistently found ourselves unsatisfied and this constant pursuit of our own self, you know where this leads us to? Loneliness. Loneliness. And before you know it, your pursuit of yourself has just caused you to be alone. And you've missed out. Missed out on all that God wants to provide for you. All that God wants to do through you and within you. And when we live the life like we're the owners, like everything we have is because of what we do. Like we are, we, we, we deserve it in some way. Then we become very privileged and we don't find significance, and we're just broken. You know, all the way back at the beginning of time in creation, God revealed the heartbeat of what this is all about. You see, my friends, everything that God speaks of, everything that in the reality of what is true through the word of God, all kind of lines back up to creation. Everything comes back out of creation, how God designed it, how God ordered it. And from the beginning of time, God revealed to Adam and he revealed to us that everything he provides, he is owner, creator, he is CEO. Everything that he provides is given to us that we may manage it well. We are the managers. We are not the owner. See, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it's written, Then the Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. He said, here, Adam, you have everything I provide to you in this world. You have the world. Your job is to manage it, to cultivate it, and to keep it. You know that word cultivate in the Hebrew actually means to serve it. So God is telling Adam, listen, I gave you all the stuff. 
You are to serve the world. And you see, when we serve it, when we cultivate it, whatever we cultivate grows. Whatever we don't cultivate dies. The same is true if you're working out in the yard as well as your journey spiritually. Whatever you cultivate grows. Whatever you don't cultivate dies. That's the heart of a servant. A servant realizes that in everything I have, my job is to serve it, to cultivate it, that it may transform into something more. You know, living a life of a servant really helped me in my journey to really become more honest with the perspective of who I am and perspective of reality. And I think we all have to be honest with ourselves. You know, having the heart of a servant really opened my eyes up, and that is, Bill, the world does not revolve around you. You know, Bill, you are not the most important person that just walked into the room. You're not. You're not better than anybody else that's in that room, Bill. Bill, everything that you have is not your own. God is the owner. And biblically speaking, I am the manager. See, in my heart, in my journey, I mean, into the heart of a servant, I had to wrestle with that reality to throw away my pride, my arrogance, my self-absorbed focus, my entitlement to realize, oh, you're nothing without God. And I think all of us need to go on a personal journey at some point to be honest with that. He's the one who provides. He's the one. You know, Jesus talked about this very thing in the New Testament. He dealt with this as well, that our role is managing. Our role is cultivating. In Luke chapter 16, um, Jesus told this parable, this parable of this manager that was not doing well at managing. And the owner was very upset with him and said, you know what? You're not a good manager. So goodbye, you're losing your job. Well, this manager got worried and he got upset and he got nervous. He got upset for two reasons. The first reason he got upset was, what am I going to do? I can't dig. I'm not strong enough. I can't do all these other things. And the second thing, which was his bigger concern, was his pride. How will people begin to view me? I mean, they've always viewed me as the man in charge. And now I'm not going to be that man in charge. Um, I want them to kind of see their importance in me. And so then he began to go out there and pull people in who had debt. And he began to be dishonest with the debt they owed to try to make himself look better, to make himself look more important. Why? Because it was all about his own entitlement, what he felt he could get out of them and out of life. And Jesus finished the parable in verse, six, uh, verse 10 of Luke 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You know, so often I think in our journey, we think it's all about what we get, what we deserve, and we gain it upon ourselves. But Jesus was very focused with this. You want to gain more in life? You want God's blessing to pour out in your life? Reveal that you can be a trusted person of integrity with what you already have. That you follow through on what God's plan of managing of cultivating. And if you can prove that, God says, I will pour out my blessings. I will pour out my blessings. 
A couple verses later in verse 13, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, we either serve God, meaning we're the managers, or we serve ourselves, where we think we're the owners. That everything we do, everything we have is based upon ourselves. But to live a fulfilling and rewarding life, to be a difference maker, we must be real that God is the owner. He is the CEO. Everything we have is because of him. This includes your resources, but it also includes your time. Every breath I have is a gift from him. I'm not here today because of anything I've done. I'm here today. I'm, I'm breathing right now because God blessed me with the opportunity to have life in this moment. You know, also, every relationship I have is a gift from God. And you got to think about it. With my resources, with my time, with my relationships, how am I managing them? How am I cultivating them? How am I serving them? You see, our downfall is that we believe that we are entitled, that, that we are the owners, that everything we have is because of, our, uh, because of ourselves. And due to that nature, we have a tendency to get very possessive with our time and our resources and our relationships. And in all three aspects, we've got to think of these things of how do I cultivate it? How do I serve it? How do I help it to grow? You see, this is a complete heart and mind change. A transformation from deep within. Time is not in existence to serve me. So how am I managing my time? How am I cultivating my time? Relationships aren't there to serve me. They don't exist to serve me. How am I serving those within the relationships I have? My resources were not given to, for me to serve myself. God gave me and, and provided for me that I can serve others. You see, being a servant is correctly managing what God has already provided. That's the heartbeat of servant, opposite from the heartbeat of being an owner. So think about it in your own personal journey. How are you managing your relationships? How are you cultivating your relationships? You know, every relationship you have should be viewed as a gift from God. Those people don't exist to serve me. I exist to serve them. How am I cultivating those relationships? And you may be thinking, I'm not even sure what that means, Bill, how I do that. I encourage you to go back to the New Testament and read through the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Ephesians is a great letter that walks through how you serve and how you cultivate your relationships. Whether it's married relationships, whether it's with parents or children or even coworkers or businesses, the letter to Ephesians kind of walks us through how do we cultivate the relationships in our life. But this also, to serve well, means I manage my time. You know, here's the problem we live in. We've become so busy with the stuff we want to do to pursue our own happiness that we become so busy that we say, I don't have time for anything else. And here's the truth. Being a busy body does not mean you're successful. It means you're out of control. It means it's out of control. And if we managed our time well, you would have time. You would have time. 
But because we haven't viewed our time that God's given to us minute by minute, hour by hour, as a gift from God, how am I managing it for him? Then we lose sight on what he wants to do through us. And just think about it. How are you viewing the time you have? How are you using the time you have? Are you cultivating it for something greater beyond yourself? And then your resources. How are you managing your, your resources? You know, the resources that, you give, that God has given to you, are you budgeting well? You know, one of the great Christian financial gurus, his name was Larry Burkett. And Larry Burkett talked about the 10-10-80 plan back in the day. And the 10-10-80 plan is a great way to live based upon how we budget, based upon our resources and our time and everything else. You know, with our budget, he says this, this is how you should budget your, your resources. 10, 10, 10, I'm sorry, 10, 10, 80. The first 10% is given back to God, your tithe. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. The next 10%, you should give to yourself. That's your savings, your short-term savings, your long-term savings. And then the rest of the 80, you live on. And if you live on 80, give God 10, save 10, you will be taken care of. You will be blessed. But I think our society has taught us because our focus is the pursuit of our own happiness that that's not good enough. And so since our pursuit is happiness, well, then we have to live on 100%. And then we're not really satisfied at 100% because we always want more. So then that's where debt starts to creep in. We live at 110%, 120%, 150%. And then before you know it, you feel the pain and the anguish of life and the pursuit of happiness and what it really means. But if we truly follow God's plan, Jesus first, others second, yourself last, he will take care of you and he will bless you. That's what the Bible promises. I challenge you to try to live that way with your relationships. Cultivate them. View yourself as a servant in those relationships. In your time, don't be selfish with your time, but view every second you have, every minute you have, every hour you have as a gift for God. How are you cultivating that for Jesus, for others, and then for yourself? And also then with your resources. You know, how are you doing that? Because when we manage what God has provided us well, he will not only bless us, but he will bless others through us. That's the heartbeat of a difference maker. And so how can we really be a blessing collectively as a church? Well, as we wrap up, here's some three great, 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 great ways that I would love to give to you as we try to be a blessing collectively as a church as well. You know, here's one way. Invite your one. We've talked about this before, but who is that one person in your line of sight that needs hope, that needs the love of Jesus in their life, that, that, that needs um, uh, uh, hope in their life? Here's two ways you can share hope with them. Number one, share your story. Your story of what Jesus has done or is doing in your life is powerful. Don't hold it for yourself. Share it. Let people know your story. See what God will do through your story. Secondly, invite them to come join you here at Impact. We're starting a new series next week. It would be a great thing if you would go to that friend and say, hey, will you come to church with me next week? Invite them. Have them be a part of what is going on here. Another way that you can be a difference maker, we can be a difference maker collectively as a church is through the area of generosity, to partner together in generosity. You know, if we are all uh, individually faithful to God in the area of generosity, he can do great things through us. 
And so I want to thank you, First Church, for those of you who have partnered with us through your tithes and through your offerings. God has done great things within the walls of impact with our ministries and the landing, but also beyond our walls. We've talked about in the past weeks about how we fully funded a well in Asia to help a community in need. Also, uh, this, this year, we fully funded the building of these facilities in Ghana, Africa, where they are training future kingdom workers in that area. We fully funded the building of three mini homes that we built on our property just a, a little over a month ago. And so because of your faithfulness, church, we've been able to accomplish some great things. But I'm telling you right now, I believe God's calling us to even more. He's calling us to so much more. But for us to accomplish those things, we need to come together collectively. And I want to ask if you have yet to step to partner with us in the area of generosity, I would encourage you to take that step with us. See what God wants to do within you and through you collectively as a church. Because when you take that step, and I've seen that in my life, God will always take care of us. That's what he promises. When you put Jesus first, others second, yourself last, Jesus always says, I'm going to take care of you. You will find joy. The last way I'm asking you to partner with us through the ministries of impact that we can collectively be difference makers is to join a ministry team. First of all, I just want to thank all of you guys who are serving um, Jesus by being a part of a ministry team. And, and you are doing amazing things um, that, God is doing, that God is doing through you and changing people's lives. And if you're here today or you're online and you're not a part of a ministry team, I would love to invite you to join one of our teams and let God use you and see how he wants to use your passions, your talents, and your abilities to serve him to make a difference in our local area as well. And so will you just pull this out? You, hopefully you got this when you came in. You can look on the back at the bottom, fill that out, and you can see some areas where you could, you may, that may interest you. Check a box or two. Put them in the offering containers on the way out. Um, if you're online, there's letting you know how you can contact us now um, to, to be a part of what God's doing here. But God is doing amazing things. And guess what? We need you and God wants to use you as a part of a team here at Impact. So will you consider being a, joining us and, be, and letting God use you in significant ways? See, God is doing great things. And he wants to do even more than this in our life and through our lives individually and collectively. I'm going to close with this. Matthew 25, verse 40. Jesus said, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. My friends, we live in a broken and hurting world. A broken and hurting world that thinks hope is found in the, in the more we pursue ourselves. But I believe with all my heart that brokenness will not be healed Hope will not be found in anything else but the name of Jesus. And God's called us to serve him by loving others and serving others. Will you join me and join us here at Impact as we seek God, seek Jesus, serve others, and watch how God blesses us and blesses others through us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you because you truly are an amazing God. And Lord, you've gone before us and you've sent your son into this world, Jesus, to not just die for us, to be, but to be an example for us in how he loved and served. And Lord, may we emulate that. May we follow that in our own life. Lord, help us to serve well. Lord, I just pray right now, I humbly ask for myself and collectively for all of us. 
Lord, I pray that we may put our entitlement aside, our, our self-absorbed focus. May we, may we see that our existence is not to pursue what, is, what makes us happy, but our existence is to serve you and to serve others. And that through that we find joy. And Lord, I pray right now that you just speak into the hearts of each person here and online. Who is that one person that we can share hope with, share our story with, invite to church? Lord, who are those that you're calling right now to, to, to step up in the area of generosity, to partner with, with impact in that way, to see God use us collectively to minister to those in our community and all throughout the world? And Lord, who is your spirit speaking to right now that they know they need to step up and join a team, that they can use their gifts, their talents, and their passions to serve you and to be a difference maker? And Lord, I just humbly ask that as we unite individually, that collectively as a church, we can be your salt and we can be your light. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.